physical media and entertainment from the silver screen to the palm of your hand. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of From Screen to Shelf. My name is Will. I'm here with Gabe and Chase. We're going to be doing a little something different today, everybody. We've been talking about horror movies for most of the month. It is still spooky month. We got a great episode coming out uh, to end our uh, October October run here, I should say. But for today, we wanted to take a little break from the spookiness and get into something a little different. We're going to be talking about our overrated and underrated movies. We each picked an overrated film and an underrated film that we're going to talk about, and we're probably going to get into a little bit of a debate depending on uh, what our picks are. Friendly debate. Um, friendly debate, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and we should also mention, too, before we actually get into this, our overrated movies, we just want to let everybody know before we you know, dive in here that we don't actually dislike these movies. We just feel like they're overrated and overhyped. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad films. So we want to preface that and get that out there, you know, just so the haters, you know, don't have yeah. anything to come after us for. We just want to clarify, you know, an overrated movie doesn't mean that we dislike it. You know, we're just thinking that, you know, it probably got more attention and, and hype than we think it might have deserved. So just want to put that out there. But Chase, uh, I think you're going to start off here now. You you picked an underrated movie, I believe, that you want to start off with that we don't know about, Gabe and I. So if you want to get into I that. I think he, it's, it's his overrated movie he's starting oh, off it's, with. Oh, yeah. it is his overrated. Yeah, if it's a, if your overrated film, you'll start off with that and uh, we'll we'll get right into it. So we're both eagerly awaiting your uh, your pick here so I'll, I'll i'll send it over to you to uh get going yeah i'm kind of excited to throw this your guys's way because i intentionally held out because i wanted to live capture your guys's emotions blade runner um i genuinely I'm trying not fun- to leave the, the call right now i'm like okay. trying not I, to leave the call i right knew now. i i had a feeling that it was gonna be I, i'm i'm not lying when you when you said that you i looked over to my shelf it's sitting right in the middle i could see the steel book from where i'm sitting dude and i was like i guarantee you he's gonna pick this fucking movie yep ow okay uh, yeah go go into the how and then we can talk about it. yeah it, it's like I, I just don't know why it doesn't capture me. It has some great cinematography. It's one of those movies, as much as I live and breathe horror, like believe it or not, I sci-fi is my favorite genre. So mm-hmm. whenever I first got a hold of it, uh, I was a teenager, stuff like that, and I just found it so dull. My attention span was shorter then, so then I've rewatched it once I got a hold of the 4K, Immaculate Transfer, by the way. But... It's just I can never remember what that movie is about every single time I watch it. Uh, the acting is great, you know. It's it's got some really great story tropes. I find it to be very slow paced. I find it to be, to me, rather forgettable every time I watch it. And hot take, I do find Blade Runner twenty forty nine to be better than the original. Um, I think Dennis does a great job with anything that he does, but yeah, the original Blade Runner. That's why I wanted to hold off and get your guys' thoughts, because I knew this would kind of get us a little bit more into that debate jabby area. Um, but yeah, I just, I find it to be a passable movie. I don't ever eagerly await to rewatch it, even though it's, it's a movie that you would think is made for me. Everything about it, the AI, you know, Harrison Ford, I, I love everything that he's in, The Fugitive, Air Force One. Um, Indiana Jones, I find him to be one of the greatest actors of that era. I love Harrison Ford. So I just, I don't know. Like, I can't even tell you outside of the final fight. And of course, preface this, all of these are going to have spoilers in there. Um, I felt like I didn't need to 
be said, but yeah. They've been out for a while. Yeah, all these movies have been out and had time to marinate and form an opinion on. We aren't going to really be talking about anything that came out in the last five years based on what we kind of talked about before this. But the only thing I can remember, that dude that looks like Dolph Lundgren, you know, that 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 little final standoff towards the end, mm-hmm. that's really all I can ever remember. And I remember um, the lady, whenever she's running and she hits her hand in the glass, I just remember that because I remember watching a behind the scenes featurette that she actually cut her hand and they kept rolling. Mm. And so like she actually sliced her hand on that window whenever that was um, shot, mm. she actually fell and that was a real slip and she just kept going with it. I, I mean, I can respect the movie for what it is. It's like I said, like I don't like, it's not a one out of 10 to me. It's not a two out of 10. I still will give it a respectable, like, you know, six out of 10 and stuff. It's just, I just, I genuinely can't understand why it's got the cult status that it does. I think Ridley Scott's got much better movies out there. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much my soap opera on Blade Runner. Did you say it's 6 out of 10? Yeah. I find that movie to be very dull and boring. You want to correct yourself? I'm giving you the opportunity to correct yourself right now. Gabe, do you just want to deal with this? I'm going to go grab a bottle of uh, some alcohol upstairs before I... Uh... Yeah, I know. Get a shot for me, man. I, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I... So I mean, I, I first when you when you told me that you'd watch it when you were younger, yeah, I thought that maybe that was it. Maybe it was like, oh, your attention span's shorter because I, I there are tons yeah. of movies I've done that with too, where I watched them when I was younger and I'm like, this is you know dull, boring. I don't like it. And when I you know pop the disc in when I'm older, it, it's you get this like kind of fresh perspective. But it sounds yeah. like that didn't change for you. It sounded like mm-hmm. you still had the same reaction, dude. I mean, no Blade Runner. Oh man, I, I think it's probably one of the most unique. <sighs> Outside of because Star Wars did a good job with this too, obviously setting mm-hmm. like its own like atmosphere and universe. But I would say like Blade Runner is probably one of my favorite like atmosphere, like kind of like I don't want to say universe because it's I mean it's two movies, but like just just the whole setting of it is probably one of the best in like cinematic history. I'd probably even say that. Oh, the set like, amazing. Vibe. Yeah, like the the vibe it gives you, kind of like the the world that's already kind of established. Like he just kind of throws you in this world with you know, Blade Runners, you know, this is what they do. And, the, you know, this is their job. And, and like, you're just kind of thrown into this world. And that I think that's why I appreciate that movie so much. Because you're, it, it's not, it doesn't do what, like, other movies do. It's just, you know, kind of, like, explaining everything to you. I think, like, the, the reason really did so well with this one, he kind of, like, you know, it didn't insult the audience. It's like, I'm just throwing you in this freaking world. And, and, and you're going to you know, embrace follow it. Harrison Ford. Yeah, embrace and follow Harrison Ford's character. And then you get to, you know, the the whole kind of moral dilemma with like the, I forget what they're called. Well, what are they called? The, the I don't want to, they're not AI. They're like a... Uh, yeah, they're called repl- like the, uh, replicants. Replicants, replicants yeah. Them, yeah. I said, no. So the, re- yeah, the, the whole kind of moral dilemma with like the replicants in terms of like, you know, debating like, are they human? Are they Humanity. not human? The whole ethical dilemma of it—it's just so freaking good, man, and it's so yeah. freaking engaging. And and then I know that you brought up that you said you actually do like the final standoff. Yeah, I do. Final standoff has like the best monologue in like cinema history, dude. Yeah, of all yeah. time. <laughs> and I think that's what captivated me again. But especially after seeing Twenty Forty Nine, which I know some people do like it more, but not lesser so than more so, right? I mm-hmm. think um, Ryan Gosling's character as as being a replicant, and I, I feel like this movie's been watched enough. I mean, if you're tuning in this far for Blade Runner original, you probably seen yeah. 2049. But I feel like that was just so much better done. Like the emotions, everything in between it, you know, the style of it. Like I just really liked 2049 a lot, and I've only seen it once. So like 
I mean, I may go back and not like it or back to back it with because I saw Blade Runner and then just popped in 2049 whenever I got the mm. disc. So I I might have a change of opinion in the far future as I because I'm about to finally hop off the spooky train and go down like a little David uh, David Lynch and Alfred Hitchcock month next month. So mm. I might appreciate a little bit more of this type of stuff. And I'm definitely going to check out some more Ridley Scott stuff because I've never seen Gladiator, which I know that's a great movie oh, that man. you really like. It's just oh, I've been waiting movie. for the theme for it because I usually mm. do like themed months or like more dialogue, cin- cinematic, heavy uh, months and stuff like that to try to knock out some things and get in the mood instead of just trying to one off in the middle of spooky month kind of like shutter island like i mean it's not a horror movie it's more of a psychological thriller to me it's got some mm-hmm. horror aspects but i mean i yeah. still was able to enjoy that which that's a 10 out of 10 nine and a half out of 10 that movie's a masterpiece yeah. to me and so. it's it's not that and and uh, i'm gonna let will kind of speak his piece to it too but like also i i don't debate 2049 at all i think that like when people tell me that it's as good as blade runner I, I see it. I, 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 it's hard for me. The nostalgia just kind of keeps Blade Runner on top for me. But like, yeah. like definitely 2049 is like I think uh, Denise like he 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 got it up to that level, hundred percent. So if if someone told me like, hey, 2049 is better than the original, I don't necessarily argue that just because I I think he did such a fantastic job with it. Mm-hmm. And and like what you said to Chase, like the whole like you're you're thrown into the replicant's perspective, right? Of like. How do, how do, how does he deal with it and how you know how does he yeah. manage it? So like it, it's the the story is pretty freaking engaging with the sequel, but I think there's the nostalgia for the original just kind of pulls me towards you know uh, Scott's version or yeah. a, a Scott's installment, I should say. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I I think that's what kind of throws me in. It's just a kind of like this whole you get the sci-fi world, you get this whole ethical dilemma, this whole debate about you know uh, replicants and how they fit into our world. And I mean, even today, I think it's even more uh, resonating, you know, with like what you said earlier with AI. And I mean, they're actually like, developing this stuff now, so that world isn't so far fetched anymore. It's something yeah. that you know maybe like when we're older, we're <laughs> we're we're gonna see replicants walking around. Who knows? But it's it's something that we'll probably be debating and talking about. And they may even reference Blade Runner. Who knows? But I think it was kind of like it was super far ahead of its time. Um and it's 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 a movie I super appreciate. So yeah, you you got me with that one, dude. That's 100%. why I held off. Because I know we talked <laughs> well, about everybody's pick, but I had to hold that one near and dear yeah. to get the live reactions. Oh man. Well what do you think? Uh, I agree with, I want to say this, I do agree with 2049. I think um, Dennis made it palatable to a mm-hmm. new audience, um, a current generation, I should say, at, but at the same time bringing and replicating the qualities, replicating, replicating. Did there, <laughs> replicating the qualities that made the original so special, right? And the style and the vibe of it. So I, I, I agree, 2049 is definitely up there. I still don't think it surpasses Ridley's movie just because again for me it's also nostalgia um and just when i watched this movie i think it was high school when i first saw it i was amazed by it i mean just the production design to me um was incredible and still is it's it's i mean it's probably in my top five or top 10 movies i'd say top five for for art design mm-hmm. um the way that they were able to bring th- those sets to life you just felt so engrossed in that world you know and yeah. and there's really I don't I don't think I can say I've watched any other movie that kind of brings me close to that. You know, that that feeling that I got, you know, watching it. You know, just how amazing everything was done like just just from the the scene to the background, the characters like when he's in the city walking around like through the streets and they 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 did that in 2049 very well too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that was a great mm-hmm. movie, but 
yeah, I just feel like it was so far ahead of its time. And like we we got to remember too, it was never meant to be a classic. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember yeah. reading the production of it was actually horrible. Like it was it was a nightmare for Ridley Scott to be able to get funding or continue to get funding to keep to keep making it. Uh, I think, you know, people always bring up like E.T. I think there's some credence to that. You know, it was released, I think, after E.T. was released. And I mean, the, the stories just they're totally opposite. Right. Like E.T. Mm-hmm. was more, of a you know, human. It was like a human extraterrestrial optimistic, you know, relationship, whereas Blade Runner was obviously much more bleak and, and, and dystopian. And I think yeah. audiences chose mm-hmm. to just go with E.T. and and. That's how it became a cult classic, right? Uh, originally, but I don't think it's overrated at all. I, I think it set the blueprint for science fiction films moving forward to this day. <laughs> like, yeah, you can watch any science fiction movie and and pick out a reference to Blade Runner. Like, it 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 was almost done so perfectly. Like that world was set up so perfectly. Like, there's no way to really get away from it. Mm-hmm. Like, you can make a sci-fi movie about anything you want. There's no way to escape it. You know, there's there's going to be, even if you're not trying to directly reference Blade Runner, or if there's yeah. movies that claim to not be inspired by it, you can still point things out. You'll still see things in those films that that will make you think of Blade Runner. Yeah. Um, I just think nothing comes close. And like you guys talked about, like the ending fight with like the monologue. I mean, that it's it's like pure poetry. Some of the best writing and and acting I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I think I like it. Um, because it is incredibly bleak and I tend to relate to that kind of stuff. I just gravitate towards that. Like I like Korean movies because Korean movies actually take a lot of notes from movies like Blade Runner and that they're much more bleak in, in their storytelling, darker, more realistic. Like it's not always a happy ending, right? And usually mm-hmm. there's a, a choice that has to be made that's that's very haunting. Um, and that's what I think I, I can say about Blade Runner as well is that to me, it's just one of those movies that when you really get into it and you really get underneath the skin, it's just a truly haunting story. You, you know, the whole idea of, of replicants questioning, you know, what it is that they are. And then humans, mm-hmm. like in, in the case of like Harrison Ford's character, like there's this whole debate on, on what it means to be a human being. Right. Yeah. And, and whether or not AI artificial intelligence can, can understand what it means to be a human being and, and whether or not they can feel emotions and, and, and feel the things that humans feel. So, I mean, dude, it's, it's so much more relevant now with everything that we're dealing with. Um, and like, even in the film industry, like if we want to reference current events, there's no better, you know, no better reference than what's happening right now with, with the writers and the actors. I mean, one of the things that everyone is concerned about is the capability of AI to replace human beings, right? And there's a whole debate as to whether or not AI can be used or should be used to create art, right? Mm -hmm. Like people don't want to lose that human element, right? The nuances um, that you get when you, you have human beings involved in a project or human beings producing art. So that there's a whole debate, you know, within the industry and, you know, within within the workforce in general right i mean i think it it speaks to that you know if we're gonna you know relate to current events there's no better there's no better thing to to call out than than what's happening right now with ai so yeah as far as being ahead of its time i mean dude that's an understatement like it's crazy 
you know, how relatable it is even to this day, you know, and, and yeah. 2049 is, is amazing. You know, I really love that movie, but I think I still like the original better because at the time they didn't have the technology available that they have today. So like, even with the models they used and like the way they, they shot it with the model work mm-hmm. and, and everything like that, with the spaceship in the beginning, um, you know, the shots of the city just, again, it's like those images are burned in my mind. Yeah. It's something I can't forget. And as I said, I watch plenty of other movies and I can just, I can point out references to Blade Runner all day long, no matter what I see. So its influence is obviously monumental and something that I think will continue to, you know, it'll continue to influence other movies and future, future movies and and projects and and directors uh, and artists. Um, So, yeah, but I get, the the criticism of it being you know i guess boring so to speak not that you said that chase but that's that's one i hear a lot um mm-hmm. but i just think it it takes its time to build character and build story in, in such a subtle way but it's again it's just very poetic to me so yeah it's I was a very philosophical movie yeah it is it's, it's not your sure. typical kind of and I, I think a lot of people sometimes and i'm not saying that's what happened with you chase but I think a lot of people go into Blade Runner and they're just expecting kind of this traditional like sci-fi kind of like style, you know, good versus bad kind of like, yeah. you know, yeah. huge like fights in the middle of it. And it's like it's it's really just like more. I mean, it has that detective noir kind of element to it, but it also it's just a super philosophical analysis about kind of like what everything Will said about, you know, what it is, what is it to be human? And, you know, how do we how do we cope with that or deal with that? So, um Ah oh, man, you I mean that definitely led to a reaction chase. <laughs> that's why I had to hold that, it dear. Yeah, man, that's uh, yeah, cuz I'd put that I'm trying to think I, I maybe I need to sit down and do my like my top 10 movies of all time cuz I keep referencing like what I would put in it, but I think Blade Runner would definitely be there. Probably like top 10, top 15 for sure. Yeah. It's definitely good and I mean 2049 is a great mix of style and substance, just like the original is, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like you said, you don't really expect like a whole lot of like, or some people might go in, especially for the time that it came out, like a Star Wars-y type of sci-fi epic and stuff like that. Even if you just look at the set pieces, you might try to piece two and two together and think that it might be something, especially with Harrison Ford being in it. You mm-hmm. know, I, I, yeah. I feel like especially at the time that might've been a very good uh, mentality to approach it. I mean, Harrison Ford sci-fi. Oh, damn. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, maybe over time it'll grow on me. Like, there's tons of movies I didn't like growing up that I hold near and dear to my chest now, you know. Mm -hmm. Some still holding strong on that opinion, like Blade Runner, but you never know with time. Um, It's just like, you know, that's not one we're talking about, but I know we agree to a degree that, like, The Shining, I feel like I'm going to like it more as I get older, possibly. And then Mm -hmm. even with the back-to-back to Dr. Sleep, so it might just be one of those things that ends up growing on me. And it's like I said, it's not a bad movie, you know, and I, I respect it for a lot of the things that it is. I just don't understand like the masterpiece status of it. Um, but yeah. again, time will probably tell on that. Um, it's just like some of the Star Wars movies. I don't understand why they have like the, the cult status that they do outside of mm-hmm. it just being Star Wars, right? It's okay mm-hmm. to say when some of them are bad and it's not just the new trilogy. There are some bad ones from back then, even outside the prequels. Like, people yep. that vehemently defend Return of the Jedi, man, it's just so incoherent to a degree. You know what I mean? Oh, that like, was definitely, like, the most generic one. Yeah, you yeah, know sure. what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just there's some movies that have that status that 
it, it's yeah just time will tell you know like i used to love return of the jedi and then as i watch it the more i get older it's just like what you know it yeah just, it just star wars was stepping on its own toes mm-hmm. but i feel like that's going to be a good segue to one of the ones that we all agree that's underrated or overrated <laughs> i'm sorry gabe go and start that one off oh okay so my overrated um is I had to think long and hard about this one. Um, and it's one I actually saw a few weeks back. I think probably that's why it popped up in my head again, is uh, Stanley Kubrick's, which me saying his name already is probably <laughs> giving everyone, you know, crazy reactions, but Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket. Um, I, and again, kind of just to preface what Will said at the beginning, it's not that I hate the movie. Um, I think the issue with Full Metal Jacket is you have the first... And I have to get the runtime down. Like maybe the it was like the first 30, 40 minutes, I think, where it's just like you're in the boot camp setting. Um, and you're following, you know, these these characters as they go through boot camp. And it's, you know, it's a super kind of like intimate, emotional kind of like dynamic that plays out. Um, and, and it leads to like almost like this climax, like which I, I think should have just been the film's climax. I mean, you get this climax to where... Um, oh God, what's the actor's name? I, I don't, I don't know the actor's name. I feel bad, but, um, uh, he, he's the, the one that's kind of bullied. That's different from the rest of the pack. Oh, like the, the skinny the guy? guy, the, the bald one, the, oh, the overweight uh, one. Yeah. No, private pile. Private yeah, pile. pile. Yeah. Yeah. Who the actor's name is. He's yeah. He was recently in the daredevil series. He, he played Kingpin. Um, oh, that so, was him. Yeah. That's him. Same guy. Holy shit. Yeah. It's the same dude. I'm pretty sure if you guys oh, want to look it up and correct me real quick. Uh, Sergeant Pyle or Private Pyle, I believe Private he played Pyle, Kingpin and yeah. Daredevil. Um, super, super great actor. Um, I remember like watching behind the scenes for Full Metal Jacket, where I think uh, he was talking about how Kubrick like forced him to put on like a whole bunch of weight for the role. Actually, so he actually wasn't that that heavy uh, prior to filming. But uh, I guess when he was talking to Kubrick about the role, he was like, "No, you need to put on a whole bunch of weight." Because uh, I think that was a part of the aspect of the role, just you know him being overweight, not being able to keep up with everyone. Um, what's the actor's name? Did you guys? Vincent uh, D'Onofrio. Uh, yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. He was also in Men in Black. He was, um, I think, the first guy that gets uh, overtaken by an alien. Oh, he played the cockroach yeah. exterminator dude. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Wow, super. I mean, honestly, that was a he did a great job with that role. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. No, yeah, so, like, I mean, that that climax where uh, Private Pyle goes into the restroom with a freaking rifle, you know what I mean? And his eyes, like, I, it's just a haunting scene, dude, where you just see his eyes just, you know, like, you can see, like, psychologically something's not right there. And I and I think that first 30 minutes of the movie, first 40 minutes of the movie, it, it's kind of like what we talked about with Blade Runner. It's so, you, you can take so much of it with, like, today, you know what I mean, with a lot of the violence that's going on today and, like, a lot of the mental health issues going today. And then it leads to this climax, and then, and then it's just like over for me at that point. I feel like this the whole other part of the movie, which is you know the probably like the other hour or so, um, it's it, nothing really resonates. I think w- w- at least personally for me, I, I just get a little bit bored with it. We're just following these soldiers in Vietnam, um, and nothing sticks out to me outside of just you know that that little. I guess it's it has its it builds up towards its own little climax with that sniper teenage girl uh when they all get pinned down and they have that little kind of moral ethical dilemma i guess at that point um but it it just didn't resonate with me because i mean these guys were i mean they got on their helmets you know born to kill 
I know the other guy has the one that says, uh, I am become death. Um, so, I mean, these guys are, are, you know, they're killing. And then and they're a guy in the helicopter. He's mowing down everyone. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't give a shit. So, like, by the time we get to this point of, here's a teenage girl who's, you know, sniping you. And she's on the floor. Like, are you going to shoot her or not? It, it's, I'm like, you guys have just been murdering everyone at this point. So, what's the whole deal with this? Like, I, I just didn't understand it. And it honestly took a lot of the movie away from me. I, I kind of wish Kubrick had just kind of focused on. And I, and I think it was, I think it's based off of a book. Um, so I, I want, I, I gotta maybe double check that. I don't know if you guys want to look at that for me, but maybe it was based off of a book. Maybe that's why he didn't go that direction. But the first half of the movie, if he just kind of made that into its own movie, I think that would have been a lot better. Um, and the rest of the, the second half of the film just takes away from that, in my opinion. Um, so when people kind of bring up Full Metal Jacket as one of their fi- like favorite Stanley Kubrick films, I, you know, I, I get those weird reactions sometimes where I'm like, eh, it's it's not that great. <laughs> It's 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 just okay. It's definitely overhyped. What was it? A book? Were you guys able to look that up? I'm looking that up right now. Uh, but I'm pretty while I'm sure it was. Up, I do want to say to piggyback off of it because I think you might have touched on it. This movie, as like dark and serious as it can be about the subject matter, has some of the funniest moments in the in, in that type of movie. You know, with mm. like some of the things that they say, like with the way that the drill sergeant talks to them. Oh, dude. And, yeah. <laughs> oh, <it's> <laughs> some of the analogies that, yeah, yeah. that he uses is freaking hysterical. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I think one of the things that it does do really well that I think resonates with people, um, as much as I, I purely agree, I, I find, you know, the last 20, 25 minutes, whenever uh, I believe it's like the flamethrower scene. Um, where they're all going around and doing that, and they they kind of the, the climax of the movie. Mm-hmm. I I liked that. I, that was my favorite part. But otherwise, I just felt like it was just a very. It didn't have, at least to me, that signature Kubrick differentiator. If you know what I mean, with some of the cinematography, especially during the first forty five fifty minutes, there was nothing that screamed to me, "This is Stanley Kubrick." You know what I mean. Like you would yeah. get out of 2001, that you'd get out of the even The Shining, that you yeah. would get out of Clockwork Orange, Paths of Glory. All of those have a signature style. And yeah, it does not look like... It's based off of a book. I, I did look it up. The Short yeah, Timers. Yeah, The Short Timers. So I, yeah. I've never read The Short Timers, so I don't know if it's, you know, if the, if the plot in that book kind of takes the same approach. Um but, I mean, regardless, I think, you know, Kubrick at the same time, I, I can't give him a pass on that because, you know, he took The Shining and just went, you know, he did his own thing with it. I mean, there yeah. are elements of that book that he completely changed and he really didn't give a shit because he said it served the story that he wanted to tell. Yeah. So I can't give him a pass yeah. on that, even if it's even if it's based on a book. I mean, I think you made two different movies and you mushed them into one um, with the first half just being the better movie. Um, honestly, like if I. I, I sometimes get tempted to stop watching. Like after, you know, Pyle shoots himself in the head and then it kind of fades to black. I, I at that point, I kind of want to stop watching it just because the first half is just so good. I don't care about the second half of the movie. Oh, really? Um, so but, that might be where we differentiate. I don't care about the first half and I kind of like the, the second half a little bit more. Oh, really? Yeah, because it's just Interesting. it's really just the comedic relief. Otherwise, it's just another basic training thing. With, you know, some other aspects where it's like, you know, the comedic relief sprinkled in and then, you know, 
Um, the script, I mean, the dialogue's always great throughout the entire movie. I will mm-hmm. give it that. The dialogue yeah. really carries the movie, and especially with a pile and stuff like that where you said it fades to black. I think it gets a little bit stronger after that. Uh, it's really just the climax because it shows you a very, very dark side. But like to your point, like you really don't really relate for these people too much because they're all in the military to kind of, I mean, depending on who you are as a viewer, I mean, you know, like you really don't want to root for these people to just go and kill, 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 kill. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah I, I find the second half to be a little bit stronger, but overall, like I do find it personally and I don't think Kubrick really misses that much. Um, I, I find Paths of Glory to be his best war-based movie, for sure. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, uh, I agree with that. Yeah, Paths of Glory, it's, it really shows a lot of things that I think Full Metal Jacket was really trying to like relay, like the, the PTSD, uh, shell mm-hmm. shock, and stuff like that. Like yeah. That's a very strong message, and he did it so well, and like a, kind of a little bit of a sprinkled in like court drama. This one just really felt like you know a comedic-ish, dark-ish war movie that i mean some people hold up there in high regards and that's kind of what we're talking about it's just i find it a little bit overrated it's not that it's bad like we've said yeah i just feel like he even himself did better before yeah yeah and and you worded it really well when you said like it just doesn't have that kubrick like identity to it like you know with the cinematography or just some of the cuts or you know just kind of that that unique stamp that you know it's kubrick like mm-hmm. i i kind of don't get that and i and i would say maybe at least for me personally i got it more from the first half than the second half i know we kind of yeah. differ there but um mm-hmm. yeah i i just it, it's it, it kind of throws me overboard with the second half at that point i'm just kind of disinterested in it and i don't care about following the the characters to be honest the, the, but that's just my perspective on it um will what do you think full metal jacket I agree. I, I'm more in Gabe's corner on this in terms of what part of the movie I like better. I think the first half does it for me, and I kind of lose interest, you know, after after Pyle kills himself, you know, unfortunately. But um, I will say, out of all the Kubrick movies I've seen, well, you guys were talking about, like, his identity as a filmmaker in terms of his style. It's the one movie that just seems disjointed, you yep. know, out of mm-hmm. everything he's done. You know, there's a few things I have to rewatch. Um but out of out of his major movies, I think this is the only one that it, it kind of loses that, you know, and that's why I think like even when I look at it, like when I think of Kubrick movies, I never think of this. I never think of Full Metal Jacket. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, yeah. um, because when I think of his movies, I think of his style. I, I think of those images and, and the, the camera setups and just his way of directing. And this movie never pops into my head uh, when I'm having those kind of conversations with someone or just thinking about it. So. Yeah, I will say this. I was really enthralled by the first half, you know, the the training montage at the camp and the sergeant, you know, that's all so well done. And I just think, you know, once once they get into the, the, the war scenes, it just kind of loses, it just loses steam for me. You know, mm-hmm. I compare it a lot to Boogie Nights in terms of transitioning mm-hmm. because Boogie Nights has that whole first setup where everything's kind of lighthearted and, you know, all these characters are having fun. And then you have that scene at the party um, where William H. Macy's character, it's a similar situation. He, he shoots yeah. himself in the head. And from that point on, the movie just gets bleak. Um, mm-hmm. I just, that's a movie that I look at, not to compare the two stylistically, because they're so different. I mean, two completely different directors, but I just think Boogie Nights is an example of, of transitioning well. It, it just, it was much better, or I should, I don't want to say it was done better. But I just think it was handled more appropriately. And in Full Metal Jacket, 
it's like you guys said, I feel like I'm kind of watching two different films that were kind of spliced together. And, mm -hmm. and that's what it feels like. It doesn't feel coherent. It doesn't feel complete. Like that transition doesn't feel natural. Whereas yeah. with a movie like Boogie Nights, I can watch that over and over again and it doesn't take me out of it. Right. Yeah. Like as soon as the, the whole first half was over, when they're done with the training camp, I was just, and to this day, it's, it's where I lose interest. So yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree with Gabe. The first half of the film is, is the more enjoyable watch for me. And after that, it's kind of, you know, nothing really is, is that memorable. It's just it's, kind of on in the background for me. It's kind of interesting that, I mean, you guys correct me if I'm wrong. I'm hearing that you guys feel like the second half is more bleak than the first half. Yeah. I think the, I mean, the first half's definitely bleak. For sure. I just think the second half, like stylistically, like the first mm -hmm. half, and, and this could also be how it's edited, how it's shot. It's just, it's the first half is so much more memorable for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's where most of the momentum is. And I think it just kind of loses a bit of that in the second half for me. Um, I, I, yeah, because I feel like the first half, it's, it's better put together. It's better constructed. It's even better. Maybe even I got to watch it again, but shot better. But I think it, to yeah. me personally, I, I know Chase is talking about like the sprinkled stuff with that new drill sergeant because he's freaking, you know, some of the shit he says is like hysterical. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. at the same time, it was like almost like a juxtaposition thing for me where he's saying all this funny shit, but like, like private pile, like, like it's so bleak to me. Cause like this guy, I mean, I, rem I always remember that scene, you know, where they hold him down and they take the soap bars, they put them in the towels and they just like, you know, beat on him. Oh, uh, it's while they're abuse. Holding yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's just like this like, whole like 40 minutes of emotional and physical watch. abuse. Yeah. Like it's like yeah. for, for me personally, which is kind of weird, right? Cause the second half is the like actual war, actual violence. But for me personally, like the first half of that movie is, is more bleak than the second half. The second half to me, it's kind of like, kind of like what I explained, like these guys are already, natural born killers kind of like what they even chant sometimes when they're marching and it's like i yeah. don't understand what the second half was about like what were you trying to say yeah because you're um, kind of expecting that from them at that point where and mm -hmm. i agree with what you're saying with like the whole beat down with the bars of soap i mean it, that violence is much more i think it's the fact that it's it's on a such such a smaller scale whereas like the second part just we've talked about this before yeah. when you kind of open this up if you're telling a certain type of story that's much more intimate and then you, you try to open that up, I think there's ways to go about doing that. And then there's ways where it, it doesn't work out so well. And I think full metal jackets, one of those examples where I, I just think it, it kind of loses that, that, that personal touch that it had in the first half. The first half resonates with me much more than the second half, you know, mm -hmm. in, in terms of scenes that I can look at, like we're just talking about the beatdown scene. I mean, it's horrible to watch, but that's something that I immediately remember when I think of this movie. I don't remember much from the second half, you know, because it's it's just it's just kind of a chore to continue to follow it. Yeah. And I but, do want to piggyback off something you said, Will. Like, you never think of this as, like... Because uh, my dad was super into war movies growing up. So, like, I can't even name the ones that were probably... Like, I'd have to rewatch them and be like, oh, yeah, I've seen this, you know? Yeah. Um, but somebody hit me. I just, I never knew that was a Stanley Kubrick movie. And then it was probably like six or seven years ago. I was rewatching it with somebody and they were just talking about Stanley Kubrick. I was like, what does I have to do with this? <laughs> you know, I like, I never really like figured that of course. Like, I mean, I was mm -hmm. a, a lot younger and stuff like that, but it was just such a surprise. I was like, versus 2001, you know, clockwork, everything like you can tell it's kind of like Wes Anderson with his whole symmetry thing. Right. You can typically mm -hmm. tell when you're watching a Stanley Kubrick movie. Just like yeah. you can tell when you're watching a Wes Anderson movie. Mm -hmm. It's, I just never really knew that, you know, it's just so yeah. tonally different from everything else. But 
I wanted to piggyback off that and say I agree because it's it's like um the sheep of his collection for sure. Mm-hmm, for sure, and 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 like again, just to preface that it's it's or reiterate, I should say that it's a great movie. I mean, it, it, it's 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 hard critiquing these movies because we still like like them. I still yeah, like, they're still enjoyable. You know, like you said, you enjoy Blade Runner. I still you know appreciate Full Metal Jacket for what it is, but it, it in terms of you know the. I guess the uh, like the the pedestal that we hold it on. I think that maybe that's kind of like what we're questioning. But yeah, I mean it's a great movie. I still bought the 4K. The 4K looks great. Yeah, um, it's it's sitting on my shelf, and you know maybe I'll pop it in every few years just to watch it. But it's it's definitely one of those ones that I'm not kind of. It, it's not like The Shining where I pop it in every year. You know what I mean? Or yeah. like Doctor Strange Love where I watch that every once in a while. God, um, Doctor Strange Love. Shout out to that yeah. movie. Yeah, and that's a good one where it's like, you know, that's yeah. definitely Kubrick. You definitely get that Kubrick vibe from that movie, and, and I just don't get it with Full Metal Jacket. So, Actually, that, to that's piggyback my off that, like, I think yeah. that blends everything that we kind of critiqued just now. Comedy, war aspects, and it even has a little mm-hmm. bit of camp there with, like, the Coca-Cola machine. Yeah. I remember yeah. laughing so yeah. hard. He's like, mm-hmm. if you destroy that, you're going to have to deal with somebody. I forget the exact verbiage. You're going to have to deal with somebody worse than us. You're gonna have mm-hmm. to deal with Coca-Cola or whatever he ends up saying. Like I remember just yeah. laughing so hard. I love that movie. Doctor Strange Love is an annual rewatch for me yeah. for sure. Great freaking movie. But yep. that's that's my pick. Um, Will, I think uh, uh, you're the last one here. What what's the overrated film that you chose? Yeah. So I I want to start off in saying I don't dislike this movie. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about the final act of this film because it's something we we talked about it before the podcast, but we didn't get into what I like about it. I, I think the final act of this movie is probably some of the greatest work that this director has done. Um, I just think getting there was kind of a chore for me. My pick is The Irishman by Okay, Zero's for a loop. Mm. <laughs> yeah so i just like so the whole thing with the de-aging i i know it was an incredible amount of work to be able to do what they did you know they they had three camera setups that most of the time they were filming this movie in order to capture the actors from every angle as many angles as they could to work with the de-aging technology i think it works in certain scenes and there's certain scenes and parts of the film where it just it it takes me out of it you know, yeah, and 100%. you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'm all about practical effects. I love practical effects. I, that's why I respect I respect Scorsese for what he's done throughout his career. He's been somebody mm-hmm. who's always been about practicality. He's up there with the likes of Nolan, who we've talked about many times, in terms of, of doing as much as you can within the frame, on the day, on mm-hmm. set, and, and relying on VFX and post-production as little as possible. Right. And and he's all about authenticity, just like somebody like Nolan. I just feel like with this movie, it, the de-aging, it, it worked in certain scenes. And I don't know if it was because of the way it was lit, like with the lighting. I know that sometimes it's very hard to get VFX to work with, with certain lighting. It takes a long time to render it properly to make it look natural. And I think that's what takes me out of this movie. There's one scene in particular that I'm sure other people have referenced. Um, when he's curb stomping the, uh, I think it's the baker. Yeah, the the meme that came about or the gif. Yep, that's the one. Yeah, <laughs> so, the whole and, gif. And he, yeah, and here's my question, and I don't want to nitpick because I will say though that scene was one of the the few that I can remember that kind of just took me out of it because visually I I couldn't get over what I was watching. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was. It's like you're getting involved in the story. You're getting 
you're 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 taking it all in and then something like that happens and it's just it's like it's so jarring you know uh, to me as a viewer that it just kind of takes me out of the story now here's my question and and i i want your thoughts on this gabe and, and chase mm-hmm. you as well couldn't they have hired i mean with with the ability to deep fake they could have hired a younger actor right to at least perform that kind of action right to do that stunt I 100%. feel like it, it it would have been so much more flawless, right? They could have they could have done that. They could have used the CGI to to make it look like De Niro. They could have gotten a body double. I don't get how someone saw that in the editing room and and said, "Yeah, this looks fine. This looks natural." It it just doesn't. And there's it doesn't at all. There's moments like that that make me question why that was done. And like from what I remember, the budget for this movie was astronomically high. Yeah. Um, I mean- I'll double check it for you. I you? I, I want to say it was like at least, I think it was over a hundred, well over a hundred million. I think more than that. Um, because this was probably more than that. <laughs> I was gonna say I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was anywhere from two hundred to two hundred and fifty million. Uh, budget was one hundred fifty nine million. One hundred fifty nine million. Okay, so yeah. with a hundred and sixty million dollar budget, they couldn't find a stunt double to 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 do that. I and will I, I say can... that that that's I, just because I'm gonna you know try to defend this movie because I freaking love it. Yeah. But I will say that that's the one part I agree with you on because I remember seeing it and that scene took me completely out of the movie and I was almost yeah. laughing at it just because I, I and I tried to follow up on what happened. I saw behind the scenes stuff where where De Niro was talking about they had him like in not physical therapy but kind of like some therapy like physical therapy where they're focusing on like body posture and you know, how yeah. to kind of make him move younger. Cause like, that was the issue. Like the, obviously the, the CGI stuff was going to be handled post-production, but like, you know, he needed to move like he was younger too. Um, that right. did not translate <laughs> at all. Um, during that scene, you can see that it's like, you know, I don't know how old he was supposed to be in that scene. Like maybe like 40, it was like mm-hmm. a, you know, 70, 80 year old man's body <laughs> with a 40 year old face kind of stamped onto it. And it, completely took me out of the scene so i agree with you on that part for sure it it was it was poorly constructed and with the technology they have i mean i see people on youtube make freaking these deep fakes that look freaking incredible they'll throw freaking harrison ford's face on you know this other guy and it's like dude that looks better than you know what scorsese did on the irishman Mm. so i agree with you on that part there because i actually just i haven't let me preface this. I haven't seen the Irishman. I'm I'm recently, like I said earlier about Shutter Island, diving into Martin Scorsese. My next one's yeah. gonna be Raging Bull. But I actually I whether it's a spoiler or not, while you guys were talking, that's why my head was down. I was watching it on YouTube just so I could <laughs> chime in to a degree. <laughs> I had to feel like I had to be a part of it. Um but I mean, as far as I know, Martin Scorsese, he's a purist. I mean, look at how many times like Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro has appeared in like various ones of his works and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, is that even an option that crosses Scorsese's mind? Like using a body double, you know, doing anything, but like what kind of transpired? You know what I mean? Like, look, yeah. literally, I can name like Scorsese, five. Movies. He's a, well, he's a perfectionist, though. I mean, he's he's one of the greatest directors that ever lived, hands down. And and I'll say that, like, I, okay, I don't dislike this movie. I'm not one of those people out there that like are hating it and think it's the worst thing ever. I think it's again, the last act is is some of the darkest moments i think that he's ever done in terms of you know frank's character i believe it's frank yeah frank growing old and just it's living i guess i can say just living with what he did and Mm -hmm. i just think that was so well done in the way he really touches on those intricacies of of how how he's going through the rest of his life 
just miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was amazing, right? There's parts of it that I can really appreciate. I guess I could say like if if I look at Goodfellas, Goodfellas is more of like a pop song everybody can appreciate. I think mm-hmm. I think the editing and the pacing in Goodfellas are, are much more in line with what I guess I was expecting from this. Now, in defense of this, I can say I I guess you can look at the Irishman and say that you know this is a much slower story, right? Um, that's okay. I just feel like you you could have taken a lot out of it. They could have cut like. 90 minutes out of this movie and i feel like it, it would have been they would have been able to do with they, it, i just feel like it was bloated at parts like it mm-hmm. there was just a lot of it that was slow for me that didn't resonate there were times where i'm like looking at the watch like oh damn okay it's like there's movies that i can watch i don't recognize the runtime like i'm hoping when i see killers of the flower moon i i don't have the same problem that i had with this and i'm hearing that killers of the flower moon gabe you mentioned it's paced a, a little bit better yeah. Um. So I guess I can. I'm. I'm wondering if whether or not, because from, if I'm not correct me if I'm wrong, this was a Netflix release. Yes, right? it was. Uh, I yeah. Don't, I don't know if it released in theaters. You no. Correct um, me it if had I'm a. Wrong. I think. I think it did it have did. a limited. It had a limited run had a in limited theaters. Or, or let me see. Hold on one second. I was gonna I, say because wasn't that check. before? Because wasn't Glass Onion Netflix's first limited run? Um, let me see. Blah 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 blah. Twenty three minutes feature. Oh yeah. While you're looking that up, that bakery scene. How? Did, I uh, because I haven't seen the movie, so I just finished it while you guys were talking. He's not even curb yeah. stomping the guy. He's like, just looks like he's smushing a hot dog on the ground and kind of like his you know, foot's not even it. touching yeah. him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if you look at the like, the, his foot's not even touching him. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It said it had a limited theatrical release. Uh, I think it was okay. probably for like a week or something or two weeks, and then interesting. I didn't know Netflix yeah, did like, that before Glass Onion. Yeah. Yeah, well, I remember Glass Onion having a limited release. I wasn't sure about um, uh, The Irishman just because of the runtime, right? Because in, mm-hmm. So here's my point, right? Like, Netflix released it theatrically for a limited time. So seeing as Netflix produced this, Netflix isn't a traditional studio. They don't necessarily care about runtime. So, mm-hmm. and correct me if I'm wrong again, with Killers of the Flower Moon, I think that's Apple. I don't know if it's Apple co-producing with um, or co-distributing with Paramount. I'm not sure how that. It's Apple, and I think yeah, I think it's going to have a. Um, I think it's going to have a longer theatrical run. I don't think it's limited. Um, okay. Yeah, it's Apple TV Plus uh, under the Apple Original Films label, and like you I oh, said, Paramount. Yeah. Oh, so Paramount is involved. Okay. I yeah, and there's an unspecified how... streaming release date on it. So, like, I mean, I, okay. they'll probably keep it for a few weeks until it stops making money and then, you know, yeah. post it up for streaming. But, I mean, like, you're... Uh, so, with, if I with, may, with, though... Yeah, go go ahead, man. No, I just want to say, so that's that's one of my questions is whether or not, because this was made for, I mean, it was given a theatrical run, although limited, it was made more for streaming... I don't know if it was a situation for, where Netflix was like, and, and Scorsese's at the point in his career where he can pretty much do whatever the fuck he wants, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a lot of yeah. people that are going to question what he wants to do. It's like, okay, he wants to make this movie? Sure, here's $300 yeah. million, have a ball. I wonder whether or not, like, when a director is unrestrained like that, if it was a situation where it's like, okay, hey, I can make this four hours if I really want to, you mm-hmm. know? I question whether or not it was a situation where it's like, okay, let's let's touch on this, let's touch on every aspect, but to the point where it was too much, right? Like, okay, now it's too bloated. Yeah. 
I feel like they could have trimmed it down a little bit. And that's really my main criticism. I think the third act was was done really, really well. Uh, mm-hmm. That was probably my favorite part of the movie. Um, other than that, just the de-aging didn't necessarily work for me, you know, throughout. It, there were, it was, I don't know, it was just, it wasn't balanced, right? There were scenes yeah. where I thought it looked okay, and then there were scenes where it just took me out of it. And I'm not just talking about the scene at, at the bakery, right? That's obviously the most apparent where it's just, but again, something like that can be so jarring. It really kind of takes you out of that world. And, and I feel like that was the case with this for me. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I want to watch it again. Um, but I just think it was an issue with, with pacing for the most part, at least in the first two, um, the first two acts. Now I will yeah. say, um, as far as the performances go, they're mostly great. I mean, Pesci is fucking phenomenal. I actually oh, think yeah. Pacino did great in this. I loved mm-hmm. him as, as Jimmy Hoffa. He was probably the most convincing out of everyone. Um, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't get enough of him. I thought he was fantastic. Um, I, it's, and it's hard to debate this one because like, I mean, obviously at an hour, like a runtime of three and a half hours, I, you know, like that's a hundred percent, a solidified take is to say, you know, that you could have trimmed some of this movie because three and a half hours is a long fucking time. So, um, yeah. And I agree with you. Some of the de-aging technology, it, it took me away sometimes. And especially with where we're at with it, where just people, you know, on their computer can probably do a better job at home. Um, Mm. I think that, yeah, there were scenes that took me away from it. I think that the reason I love that movie so much is, is because kind of like what you mentioned, well, that the final act where you're just kind of getting to the point of how he's coped with the decision he made and how it's impacted his life. And I think it's not, it's not just like from like a mob kind of mafia perspective, but just it translates to just as as human beings, like when we grow old and we reflect back on our lives, like regrets that we have or things that we wish we had done differently. Like, I think it really touches on that and resonates, at least it resonated with me on that, on that perspective. Um, And at least for me, I was never really bored with it. I I thought the pacing was great. Killers of the flower moon, I will say probably has better pacing than the Irishman does. Um, But, uh, and then like what you mentioned, man, the, the performances, I think this is probably one of my favorite Joe Pesci performances, just because we're so used to him seeing so like a lot of the roles he takes, he's so like loud and rambunctious and like, you know, like he gets kind of yeah. typecast sometimes. And this one, he's yeah. like so chill, but he's so ruthless at the same time. He's just like, yeah. you know, this like this mobster who's like, you know, he doesn't raise his voice much. He's just super calm and collective, but he does a lot of ruthless stuff. Um, so this one, I, I, you know, I, I love this movie. I've seen it probably even with its runtime. I think I've probably seen it like three or four times. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) It's a really, uh, it's just, yeah, man, just, I, I think the whole theme of betrayal is kind of like where, you know, like you kind of see it coming because you already know the history of it. And if you don't know the history of it, um, right. It it would be interesting to see how you kind of jump into the movie. But for me, I already kind of knew the history of like what supposedly happens. Um, but it's, you know, just this whole theme of betrayal that I would say that, that the moment it happens, the moment the betrayal happens without spoiling anything, it was probably some like the most emotional, like Mm -hmm. at least climax I've seen for a while. Um, just cause like it's, it's almost unfathomable that you can even picture that happening, but you know, apparently that's how it happened, uh, quote unquote. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, I, I just think it's like classic Scorsese. I, I loved that movie. I really, I, and I think a lot of people, I, I know it got nominated for a whole bunch of awards and it didn't win anything. So, um, right. I, I know, I think I like it more than 
other people do for sure. Um, I think like it's one that I really hold at a high pedestal. But when I talk to people about it, they're like, yeah, it's a good movie, but it's not like his best work. Um, and I would definitely probably put it up there with his best work personally. Okay. Yeah. Chase, you got to watch it, man. No, for yeah, sure. <laughs> Next month, it's Alfred Hitchcock, Scorsese, and a little bit of Lynch sprinkled in there. Because I have every one of Lynch's 4Ks that have come yeah. out. I just haven't watched them. Well, we got to find the time. to. And when you hear three and a half hours, you're kind of like, Oh my golly, I got to break that into like intermissions in three parts. Yeah, and Killer, and I know you, maybe I'll do a review for it. I don't know if I get time for the channel to do a review for it, or if you guys end up watching it, we could do a review together. But uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, man, I'd, I'd probably put that as my top three or top five for the year it was a freaking phenomenal oh yeah movie. that movie looks um, good i'll definitely yeah, watch it i would say like a de niro like i mean everyone does a good job but like de niro's character for sure resonated with me and i think he he did a freaking outstanding job if he doesn't get uh, nominated for you know like best supporting actor i'd say that that's a that's a crime but um yeah i mean he and it's weird you know like you, you mentioned well he made the irishman three and a half hours now he's killer of the flower moon three and a half hours it's like yeah, he's he is kind of maybe I don't want to say unrestrained because to me, like these movies, I haven't had any issues with the runtime. So uh, I don't know. We we are in this kind of weird right. area with movies where they're longer than they used to be. I mean, mm -hmm. the Batman they was are. like three hours, wasn't it? Or close to three hours when the Batman came out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and then uh, with that Marvel was it? Which one was it? The um, Endgame God. was like three hours, too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I think that's also why I love so much like older sci-fi and I love like movies from like the sixties, like to the eighties. There's like a perfect sweet spot between 90, just like 87 minutes to like an hour 45. That's just, I can get one quickly yeah. in while I'm getting ready for mm -hmm. work, you know, in the living room, probably right here where my TV's just on the other side of there, multitasking, you know, like yeah, three hours. I'm just so happy I have a home theater because, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like being able to pause it and stuff like that, and especially like almost four hours in a theater, I'm probably going to miss 20 minutes of that. Just having yeah. to It's a commitment. <laughs> yeah. It's a commitment for sure, especially in the theater because, you know, you got to keep in mind, it's like, all right, I guess I can't drink anything before I walk into this movie because yeah. I don't. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, I had I, I had my my Coca Cola and my popcorn for Killers of the Flower Moon, but that was like the first yeah. thing that I sat down. I was like, I hope I don't need to use the bathroom. Yeah. Like I waited till like the fourth trailer played or third, play, and then I went to use the bathroom, and then came back. I was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. My buddy went like two times during. The <laughs> yeah, and then I'm just sitting there like, all right, I got this, I got this. Luckily, I didn't need to go, but yeah, I mean, like you think about that stuff, you're like, crap, do I need to use the restroom? Or like, I mean, three and a half hours is a long time with the trailers. That's like four hours. Yeah, you're sitting there. It's it's a while. So, yeah, yeah I, I get your drinks. concerns with it. Will yeah, pace your <laughs> your drinks. Um, but I, so those are our overrated movies. And again, just to reiterate, we I think we all enjoy them. I just think that there's certain aspects of them that we all kind of, you know, think are overhyped a little bit. Um, but just to kind of, you know, balance things out, I think we were going to mention just some under pre or how would you phrase that? Kind of like underappreciated movies. Undervalued. Uh, that, yeah, we can say underappreciated. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, I think that's a good, good word for it. So yeah. Chase, you have one that you're very passionate about. I know that you want to get out there and mention real quick for everyone. What's your uh, underappreciated movie? It is going to be, and I can't believe I didn't grab the steel book, but it's going to be Super 8. Um, this movie just came out at a time, and I mean, by the way, this transfer, I don't think does this movie justice, because there's a lot of, like, it's just overly dark, almost Goonie style. But mm. Super 8, 
Um, it's the most Steven Spielberg, J.J. Abrams movie, which makes sense because it was executive produced by Spielberg, directed by J.J. Yeah. Um, it, it just, whenever I watched that movie, it just brought me back to a time with like E.T., you know, even like um, just like prime Steven Spielberg and kind of like the, I wouldn't call it campy. It's just, I really don't know how to kind of pinpoint Steven Spielberg style where there's a lot of characterization, uh, especially whenever it's child focused films like this one. Um, yeah. And then like a slow buildup while not just waiting to the very end to give you what you're wanting, you know, sprinkled in a great story with uh, some intermingling and intermixing. This is in my personal top 15 movies of all time. Like I just absolutely wow. appreciate this. Yeah. Like it's just, you know, the whole aspect of like, you know, kids just having fun, you know, making a film about, um, I'll, I'll be less spoilery about this one just in case people will, like want to check it out after I throw it out there. But like it, the whole setup is like, it's called super eight. So they have a super eight millimeter, uh, mm-hmm. camera and they're filming their own type of like little movie. They're just kids having fun. And so there's a little bit of buildup to it, and then they capture something on that film that leads them down essentially a rabbit hole about their town and uncovering some more mysteries. And, I mean, is it, like, is it shocking and everything at, like, the turn of every single thing? No, it can be pretty predictable at some points. I mean, it it follows a tried-and-true formula. I just think, like, the setup, the setting, and then how things are revealed is different enough to warrant a recommendation um, I think the camera angles, the cinematography done in it is just classic and so refreshing at the same time. It's just a fantastic movie. Um, as it says on the back of this 4K, it's an instant classic. So that's <laughs> that's what I'm going to I'm gonna back up their words. It's just a really fun movie, and I'm super passionate about that. And I'm surprised more people don't talk about it. Like, I really do find it well done. I watch it every year, and I just remember going and seeing it in theaters as a whenever that movie came out. 2011 I, yep i gotta rewatch it yeah because i i haven't seen it since it came out in theaters that's where i originally saw it and i, I remember coming out of it kind of like what you said where it just kind of had that formula you know yeah. what i mean like kind of like where you can you kind of know where it's gonna go so i'd be interested in seeing it now because like i think maybe kind of like what we talked about earlier sometimes you just watch these films like 10 years later mm-hmm. and you just have this kind of different perspective i mean your tastes change you're looking for different things so i'd be curious to watch that today and see how i feel about it I think you'll like it. I mean, it, it's just got like this different, and I think it came out around the time as like Cloverfield, not too long after mm-hmm. that, like what was that oh seven oh eight. So it was kind of following that little, again, not to give too much, but a little bit of a creature feature kind of aspect, uh, and that's pretty much as much as I'll kind of allude to that. As I just think it does a, a tried and true formula different enough to warrant, you know, throwing out there. In that category, this is my favorite one. And it, it, it's more sentimental, for sure. Am I trying to sit here and say it's a masterpiece? No, it's just, it's a 10 out of 10 in sentimental value. Because, like, whenever I watched it, it was kind of the first of that time that I had really watched anything that, in that formula. Um, especially in, like, 2011. Yeah. Because I really didn't watch a lot of movies around that time. I really didn't get into, like, hardcore movie watching until about eight years ago. So pretty much it was easy to blow blow my mind around that time. So that's probably why it's got a little bit more sentimental value. And I think that's what yeah. the underappreciated thing, you know, the, the whole aspect of a movie being underappreciated is just like what you said, sentimental value. You know yeah. what I mean? Like a lot of a lot of these movies may not be like critically kind of acclaimed or, you know, whatever. But I mean, if we hold kind of like the nostalgia or that sentimental value to it, I think that it, you know, that's that's why we we, you know, give it the time it deserves. So. Yeah. I love that movie. Bummed I didn't get the steel book, but yeah. What, what was the steel? I don't even remember the steel book. 
for it. it was and a, honestly, I like think a, that's why I didn't get it. It wasn't that cool. Oh, yeah, it was kind of like free. Wasn't it just like all yellow or something like that? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It kind of looked like the Shining. memories of it. The Shining one was kind of dope, though. Yeah. I think it didn't have that much intricate design and like the etchings on it, though. Yeah. It was just plain. And I think it was I'm, a few dollars more, not like a similar price point. I'm going to try and, and watch Super 8 maybe here in the next month because I, I kind of want to see it again. I, I Some people on the server have, have talked about it here and there. Um, yeah. And I haven't seen it in so long. It's just kind of like, let me watch this movie again and see what it's about. Um, my underappreciated movie, I think it, it's not underappreciated in the sense of like, I think it, this movie did well critically when it came out, but I think it kind of like did well critically. And then it was just kind of slept on afterwards. Like no one ever mentions it. Um, and it is, I think you had said, well, it's Adam McKay, right? Who did the big short. Yeah. Adam McKay directed it. And I believe he uh, wrote it as well. Writer, director. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. So, Adam McKay, The Big Short. Um, it's about the uh, 07, 08 um, financial crisis, specifically going to, like, the housing market and all the shady shit that the banks were doing. And it's it's really... I think the reason I love that movie so much is just because it, it has so many different elements to it. It has, like, dark humor in it. Um, it has, like, a lot of dramatic scenes in it. Like, the pretty emotional scenes, too. Um, and it's just almost like a... I hate saying like a crime movie too. I mean, there's a, like a, a lot of illegal shit going on, um, but mm-hmm. it's, it's all white collar crime. You know what I mean? So like, it's not like you're seeing people, you know, like getting shot or you know kidnapped or whatever it may be, but it's, it has all these like weird elements that kind of like fuse together, like really, really well. And then you get like people like Christian Bales in it. Um, who else was in it? Uh, Steve Carell, Brad Pitt, Ryan Gosling. Like they have Ryan a, they Gosling, had a yeah. great cast. cast. And, Awesome. They all did a freaking incredible job on it. Um, and I think it's just one of those movies, at least it resonates with me, uh, with the kind of like the theme of just greed. You know what I mean? Like it's something that we see yeah. even even today when we're talking about, you know, the economy and, you know, the state of the economy and the banks and, you know, the housing market. We're always asking, is there another bubble? Is there another crash coming? And who's responsible? And it's um, that movie. I, I, I reflect on it sometimes because I'm like, it, it's just kind of us repeating history in a way. Um, mm. and I think that movie just delves into not so much like kind of like the economical aspects of everything, but it just delves into like just human greed, um, really, really yeah. well. And also questioning, you know, these guys are trying to cash in on that greed and, 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 and is that right? Is it okay for them to do that? Um, because it is kind of like this hypocrisy that they have to kind of deal with. So it's, it's just a freaking amazing movie. And some of the, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, Chase, have you seen the big short? No, I actually was going to ask you a couple of questions. Like the way with the director and then especially anything Steve Carell is, he's hardly serious. Does Is it pretty comedic? Like uh, There are a lot of that? funny moments in it. Okay, yeah, like there, I was going to bring up, there's these like takes where it's like, you know, it, like, you know, they're, they're dealing with all this like financial jargon that like, you're like, what the hell are they talking about? And then Ryan Gosling yeah. will like break the fourth wall and say like, you probably don't know what the fuck we're talking about. So here's Margot Robbie in a bubble bath to explain what we're talking about. And just cut some Margot Robbie, like That's in a bubble bath, <laughs> explaining like all this like financial jargon stuff. So you understand. And then it cuts back to like the, the just a lot of like funny great. shit like that. Yeah. yeah. But then the, there's a lot of like dramatic shit happening at the same time too. People are losing their homes and you know, people are losing money and it's like, um it's just this blend of just you know everything just comes like together really really well and i i know it was like critically acclaimed when it came out i don't remember if it won any awards or oscars or anything like that but i feel like it kind of came out and then no one 
talked about it and for me at least i watch that movie at least like once a year like i always like when, when i can i'll pop it in to watch it just because i love the pacing of it it's um it's just really well constructed with such a complicated topic like they they put it together in a way where like anyone could watch it um so i'd i'd highly recommend it if you guys haven't seen the big short oh uh, yeah i just added it, it to my watch list that yeah, sounds amazing it. It kind yeah. of touches on a few different genres too. It's like, like you said, it's like a crime movie, but there's also like comedic elements in there. So it's like a crime mm -hmm. comedy, like drama film. I will say, Steve Carell like sold the show for me. You know, and, oh, hundred percent. Chase, you mentioned like he's usually known for like less serious roles. I, I he did amazing, and I mean everyone's good in it, but I think Steve Carell in particularly um, was was somebody that I admired. I just it was refreshing to see him play a character that was a little more straightforward realistic more of a serious tone uh to his performance like that was great um i mean i think he plays mark Baum, who yep. works yeah. for he's like they're one of the like he works for the firm i think he's a fund manager if i'm not mistaken gabe mm -hmm. you can correct me but um he um they they figure out what's going on they get like a tip from ryan gosling's character um as far as what's happening and what these Wall Street guys and what these Wall Street firms are doing. And then you have Christian Bale. I think he plays that guy, Mike Burry, who, like, um, he's one of the guys that predicted the crash uh, in mm -hmm. 07 and 08. So you kind of have all these characters. Uh, Christian Bale doesn't really, his story's kind of separate from what I remember. Um, yeah, he kind of, like, I mean, it, all these stories are kind of separate. You're following, like, three different stories. You have Christian Bale's kind of yeah. story. You have um, Steve Carell's story. And then you have the one with, like, Brad Pitt and those two young guys starting their own firm. Um, yeah, I forget But they're all, they're all working, like, on the same tip, pretty much. Like, they all kind of figure right. out, like, what's going on behind the scenes with Wall Street. And then they're all trying to cash in on it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Steve Carell, like, it's a very, um, I mean, he has, like, some funny one-liners in the movie. Uh, but it, it's also a very dramatic role, too, because I think he's the one that's dealing a lot with kind of the whole, you know, ethical dilemma where it's like, hey, we're cashing in on, you know, people losing their homes and people yeah. losing jobs. And it's like, do we do this? Do we don't? But at the same time, he wants to say, fuck you to the establishment, fuck you to the bank. So um, yeah. it's just a super well-made movie, man. Super well. -made I think there's movie. even a line that he says in the movie where he's like, you know, I I hate these guys so much. I just want to see them fucking go down. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Super engaging. He hates the fucking banks, man, and it's yeah. it's just. A, but he, he's part of that culture too. Like you said, he manages a hedge fund and he's about making money. Yeah. But he hates the very thing that he's a part of. So it's like this whole interesting kind of thing that his character deals with. Um, but yeah, super great movie. Um, I, I did check it up. I think it won. Oh, it won an Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay because it was from a book. Um, oh, it was cool. nominated for a few other things. Um, mm. But then it kind of like after it happened, it just kind of people don't bring this movie up a lot. And I, I've been no, waiting for yeah. a 4K for it. And it's I don't think one's ever come out. I just have the Blu-ray for it. So um, highly recommend it for you guys to check that one out. I'll check it out. Cool. That sounds great. Will, what's your uh, uh, underappreciated movie? My my underappreciated film is a movie from 2002 starring Christian Bale and I believe Tay Diggs um, called Equilibrium. So Equilibrium, this is, I remember that this one. Was, yeah, it was in the early 2000s. There was a lot of like Matrix type movies coming out at that period of time, you know, obviously cruising off of the popularity of the Matrix. But I will say this is one that stood out to me. We talked about Aeon Flux and Ultraviolet and some of those other movies. I just think as a dystopian film, it just, it's weird, right? Because it has this weird balance of 
not taking itself too seriously, but at the same time, pretty much conveying its message without getting too philosophical. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I tend to not like some of these dystopian movies that try to like, they try to do something bigger than, than what they're made for. It's just, yeah. they try to be bigger than what they should be. Uh, and, and I feel like in their attempt to do that, sometimes they, they forget that they should also try to be fun and just enjoyable to watch. Right. So it, it stars Christian Bale. Um, it's like this weird thing where there's these things, I think they're called like sense offenders in the movie. I did a little bit of research to refresh my memory here. Um, and what quick, happens, Will, this is the one with the yeah, Gunkata, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've seen this movie. Cause yeah, like, a I lot of, okay. Play movie. Yeah. Okay. So essentially it's a dystopian future. Feelings are outlawed. So all emotions are outlawed. They take this weird drug. I don't know if I think it's like a shot that they take or a pill that pretty much causes people to to lack emotion. So they don't feel anger or or any kind of joy or anything like that. Uh, and it's essentially on the premise that, well, you know what? In order to save humanity, we have to like erase humanity in, in terms of how we feel, right? Because like feelings are getting in the way of, of survival and there's all this... There's like these qualms about that. Um, but I just think in terms of the special effects, there's a lot of great stunt work and choreography in this movie uh, that that isn't talked about. And here's the thing. I don't know how many people are even going to remember this movie because it came out at a time where there were a lot of movies trying to do the same thing. Um, yeah. But it, it has vibes. Obviously, there's Matrix vibes in it. There's similarities to the Matrix. There's similarities to movies like Gattaca, which I really enjoy. I'm a big fan of Gattaca. Um, but there's a movie I actually kind of want to reference as well, which is V for Vendetta, right? Mm-hmm. So in, in V for Vendetta, yeah, great movie. Um, in V for Vendetta, there's a lot of, it's much more philosophical. Now, V for Vendetta is obviously based on a graphic novel, from what I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a better movie than the comic book, in my opinion, as a film. Um but like with V for Vendetta, from what I remember, it, it tries to go for like this kind of like this moral, I guess it's like a moral gray area where they're kind of questioning. It's like you, you don't really know who's good or who's bad, right? With Equilibrium, it's pretty straightforward. They, you, you know right away. There's, there's, no, there, there's no question who the bad guys are, who the good guys are. I think it's like the sense offenders, as I mentioned. They're, they're the good. The totalitarians are bad. You know, humans can't live like robots. That's like the basic theme, you know, of the movie. Um, I just think it, it's 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 action packed. I just think the action scenes are so well done. Some of the visual effects are a bit dated, but that's to be expected. I mean, this is like the early two thousands. Um, but but other than that, there's not too much CGI or VFX in this movie, which is which is good. So it doesn't take away from it, right? Um, and again, the, the whole worldview of, of the plot is that removing humanity is the best way to save it. So you have like the pain and the loss that these characters are feeling, you know, that are essential parts of living. Otherwise, like we're just like kind of existing like existentially. Right. Mm-hmm. So I just think it, it finds a, it, it finds that balance between being fun and kind of presenting its message without getting like too philosophical, which is again what I feel like some of those other dystopian movies try to do. So I would definitely check it out. Christian Bale and Tay Diggs are, or I'm trying to remember. I think Sean Bean's in this movie as well. 
So for Sean Bean fans, it's another great. Oh yeah, Sean he is Bean in the, movie. That movie. Sean Bean's yeah. pretty good. Um, but yeah, check that out. Again, it, it's been panned as like, oh, it's like a Matrix ripoff, but it's kind of unique in a sense that it, it had its own its unique own story for sure. I, yeah, I remember I mean, I it's a little bit for years. Yeah, it, it, I haven't seen it for years, but I did like the whole. Kind of like what we touched on with Blade Runner, right? Where you're like questioning humanity, like you know, that brings up those philosophical questions. It's like you know, the suppressing mm-hmm. emotions. I think wasn't it something like they're blaming like emotions for like like wars that we have and stuff like that. Like the pretty yeah, much they're like pretty much conflict. Yeah, they're blaming. So they're blaming human emotions for all the like pretty much blaming what it is to be human for everything that's wrong with the world, mm-hmm. right? Like emotions are getting in the way of humanity, you know, achieving a state of, of superiority or, or, or progressive, you know, it's stopping humanity from moving forward, right? People's yeah. emotions are getting in the way of real progress. And so the only way to prevent that is to eliminate emotion from the picture. So, and, and correct and me if I'm wrong. Well, I think it was, yep. it's been so long since I've seen it. It was like Christian Bale's character, like was like, he stopped taking his injection or something like that. And then he yeah, starts I, experiencing emotion. So he, he starts kind of understanding like, well, shit, this isn't, this isn't right. Or this isn't okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's exactly right. And that's exactly where, that's where the, the moral conundrum comes in, right? It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, we've been doing, living this way for so long and it's worked, but at the same time we're, we're forgetting what it is to be human, right? We're forgetting what, what makes being a human being, you know, so essential. Right. And he's an enforcer too of that stuff of the kind of dystopian Christian Bell's character. He enforces. He is. Yeah. Yeah. So him and Tay Diggs are their characters or they're kind of enforcers that are working for whatever you want to call it, the authority uh, Mm -hmm. in the movie. Um, But again, I just think it succeeds as its message is clear and concise. It, It doesn't try to get like it doesn't try to interrupt anything about the movie that's fun, like the action scenes or anything that's straightforward with any kind of like. There's, there's no like big philosophical lecture or anything like that. Just fun. So I, I just I just like it for like it's just a fun like sci-fi you know futuristic dystopian action movie. I think it's done really well. And again, I think this came out before movies like Aeon Flux and Ultraviolet and and a lot of movies um, that tried to take a similar approach. So it was one of the first ones to to come after The Matrix, but also um, before all those other films. So yeah, definitely check that out. And and Christian Bale, I forget what else he was doing at the time, but I'm from what I remember, this is one of the first movies I think I saw him in, you know, when I was younger. So mm. I kind of, um, you know, got me interested yeah, in like Christian 2002, Bale. Two thousand two, right? I think it was when it came out. Yeah, two thousand two, two thousand one or two thousand two. Yeah, it was oh two. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what, what was he doing at that time. American Psycho, right? Know, yeah. So but yeah, I yeah, think American that was like earlier, Psycho. right? Before that. I think American Psycho was 1999 or 2000. Oh, yeah, so yeah. he did. Oh, yeah, he did. Um, so he was still up. Yeah, so that was like two years prior. He done Reign of Fire. I did want to back up. You will. It's been just like Gabe said. I've seen this movie, but it has some of the most yeah. fun action sequences from a movie around that time. Just like purely enjoyable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that one I have seen because I remember uh, the Gunkata aspects being memed to death, just saying it was goofy fun. <laughs> and I remember checking it yeah. out for that. And it ended up being better than what people were saying. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Check that one out for sure. Gun Kata, like, that's something. And, like, yeah, as much as you can poke fun at it, like, it, it, it at least tries to be unique in that yeah. sense. It, it separates it. Even today, like, looking back and, like, watching it, you know, I'm going to rewatch it at some point. But that separates it from other movies at the time. And Kurt Wimmer, 
I think he's the director. Yeah. I've seen his name before. I think he did like Law Abiding Citizen. Mm. Um, and like, I think he did the remake. I don't know if he directed it. I think he either uh, helped write it or the, did the screenplay. The remake of Total Recall. He was the um, writer. I think. Yep. I'm looking at that right now. But he, he was the writer movie. for Law Abiding. He was. Okay. But not the and director. I think the only other thing I've seen him in was that movie Salt yep. with um, Angelina Jolie. Yep. He was yeah, the writer for that, that one. He directed Ultraviolet too. Interesting. His style is pretty. I'd say it's pretty consistent. Like he did the new the Children of the Corn. Oh, he did do Ultra. Oh, Bible, that, that explains why they're so similar. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, Children um, of the Corn. Yeah, he did yeah, Children the, the, of the Corn. The, the 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 action scenes are definitely solid. I think yeah. like the martial arts and like the gunplay and everything it was pretty cool. I know, I know. Obviously, it was kind of coming off of, you know, uh, the Matrix at the time. But it was, it was, it's definitely, I think it, it stands on its own. I remember some of those fight scenes. And I can say, like, you know, if, if I haven't watched a movie in over, like, that, well, that one I haven't seen over at least, like, 10 years. Um, yeah. If, if I haven't seen a movie in 10 years, but I remember some of the fight scenes, I'd say that that, that, memorable. that says something. Yeah, it's memorable and it stands out. So I got to yeah, rewatch that one, one again. Scene, the one scene where he, I think he, like, kicks down a door and it's, like, this dark room and there's everyone, sh he's shooting in all directions. Yes. It's kind of cool. And you see, like, the bullet holes. I mean, that was kind of, you know, there's some cool moments and cool action setups in it. So, you know, it, it, it has its, uh, it has its uh, memorable moments for sure. Yeah. Got to check that one out. I think there's a, a list now. I'm going to do Super 8 and Equilibrium. And uh, probably if there's other people on the Reddit or Discord that mention some underrated movies maybe to rewatch them just because it's been so while since we've seen some of these too that it's kind of hard to you know process and think about what we thought about them at the time so um yeah um i don't know if you guys had any other honorable mentions you wanted to throw out there before we finish up i know i mean we're, we're going to bring up other ones like i mean avatar i think that one's been talked about enough we talked about titanic um there, there are a lot of overrated movies that we can kind of touch on but we wanted to try to find some like you know different unique ones that a lot of people haven't brought up before um just to kind of process that with you guys and see what you think so uh let us know what you think with the overrated selections and the underappreciated selections and uh we look forward to seeing you guys i think next week we have that special halloween episode right so a special halloween Ooh, yeah uh, spooky halloween. episode yeah <laughs> um, so we look forward to seeing you guys then and as always we appreciate you guys and we will touch base with you guys next time thank you everybody take it easy everybody